Were you self-aware enough to know like this is postpartum depression? I knew something was wrong, you know, and they give you this little brochure in the hospital and, you know, do you want to talk to someone? Well, no, I, I just, I want to sleep. But I did look at kind of the brochure and look things up and I thought, I think this is just sleep deprivation. A lot of PPD symptoms can mimic sleep deprivation. And so again, it was also just my brain wouldn't let me give myself any any out other than this is your fault. You're a terrible mom. Welcome to Big Time Adulting, the podcast. I'm your host, Caitlin Murray. Buckle up and get ready to take it deep on life, relationships, parenthood, and everything in between. Join in with me to feel deeply, provoke your inner spirit, and laugh or cry because we all know it's a pretty fine line. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Big Time Adulting Podcast. Thanks for being here. Today's episode is with a Instagram friend of mine that I have had like an online relationship with as fucking weird as that sounds to hear to me even still. It's true. Um, a lot of us mom accounts become friendly with each other because we're doing similar stuff. And so today I have Becky Vieira of the account Witty Otter, very popular Instagram account. Plus she's on Twitter. She is shifting the way that women speak about motherhood. Becky is one of the most honest, uh, really raw, but also super funny accounts out there, I would say. She writes also for Baby Center, Scary Mommy, and she recently just wrote a book called Enough About the Baby, A Brutally Honest Guide to Surviving the First Year of Motherhood. Let's have you just say hello. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Before we go like dive into our conversation part, I just want to give everybody like a flavor of your book. So I'm going to go ahead and read this excerpt. Okay. I never expected the rage. True, I never expected the PPD either, but I thought or maybe assumed that depression was darkness, lethargy, slowly moving through a crippling fog. And it was, but I also had moments of rage I didn't know rage was a thing, that it can come with PPD. I thought I was a violent, horrible human. I hid the episodes from everyone. I was so scared to tell anyone because I felt crazy, truly. And I thought they'd judge me or take my baby away from me. Never in any moment of that near-blinding rage did I forget my child and his safety. I say near-blinding because... I still had just enough clear vision remaining to know that I needed to protect him. It was never him. It was me I wanted to hurt. The pain inside me would usually send me to the floor where I'd curl up in a ball and sob. But sometimes it was different. It became a ball inside me, and the ball would roll through my body, picking up more pain as it went until I needed to get it out any way I could. The ball would find its way to my arms and slide down to my fists. I'd scratch my skin, pull my hair, no relief. I'd make sure my baby was sleeping safely, far away, and then I'd punch the wall. It felt no better. The ball was still there inside me. My fist immediately throbbed, but upon inspection, nothing was swelling. I'd hoped I would have at least fractured a finger, anything to cause a physical pain that would overshadow what I was feeling inside me or at least give me a benign enough reason to be in the hospital for a few days to rest without having to worry about being locked away from my baby. My mind had completely destroyed my self-worth 
And the only value I saw in myself was being able to nurse this baby. So at the very least, I had to be available to give him that. I looked around for something to grab, to throw, to hit, to use as a vessel for what was inside me. This thing that I suddenly needed to release at any cost. I saw a plastic cup. San Francisco Giants World Series champions. I loved that cup. I threw the cup against the wall and heard it crack. I cracked along with it and my pain found an opening to leave my body. For the time being, at least. Man. Does that, does hearing someone read your words make you cry? Yes, I'm crying right now. <laughs> it's interesting. I don't, I don't think I've heard anyone read that passage before and I'm so used to you know writing it and editing it and looking at it and it's it just becomes another series of pages in my book but hearing hearing someone else say it it's really overwhelming and I feel I feel so sorry for that woman the previous me who went through that and any mom who goes through that I just wish I could go back through some sort of portal and help, you know, that help me help myself uh, because I didn't know how to do it at the time. Yeah. And I feel like that's going to be a big part of what we need to talk about here today is about how to um, find that help when you're in a position like you are in. I mean, that is so deep and, and dark, really, because I can remember, you know, after Callum was burnt, born my first, feeling anxiety and bluesy, but that is a very different experience. So I kind of want to ask you, because of your experience with this, if you can kind of just explain the difference between, you know, like a baby blues postpartum anxiety situation and PPD. Absolutely. And I think the differences are very important for women to know and to be aware of because there are there's a variety of things that can happen afterwards and uh, after you give birth, rather. So the baby blues sounds like what you might have had, as you mentioned, is something that a lot of people confuse with postpartum depression or I think rather a lot of times postpartum depression is dismissed as the baby blues. And that's obviously a problem. The baby blues come on. I, I always refer to it as two and two. It starts about two days after you've given birth and it, it subsides around two weeks. So that is, like you said, you know, feeling a little down, a little sad, um, you know, nothing, nothing too major. It's, you know, more related to something you could see as being related to that letdown of hormones um you know all the things our body goes through after giving birth and like i said it usually wraps up within two weeks so if after two weeks you're still feeling that that same way then that's definitely a reason to speak with your doctor um postpartum anxiety is you know they're all in the same category yet yet they're different but it's just Severe feelings of anxiety, of worries about your baby, of worrying that something might happen, um, just always being in a kind of a state of waiting for the, the other shoe to drop for something to happen. And again, um, very common, but you need to see your doctor. Postpartum depression and postpartum rage, which were the two that I dealt most with. Um, Can I ask you, 
before you go on with the postpartum rage situation, is that a, a clinical diagnosis, postpartum rage, or is that just lumped in with the postpartum depression? In my experience, it was lumped in. Um, I was diagnosed as having postpartum depression with postpartum rage. Um, that's how I dealt with it. Everyone I know who has experienced rage, it's also been in tandem with postpartum depression. So I do believe it's looked at as a, as a, almost like a sub symptom of postpartum depression, if you will. Um, but postpartum depression, I always say it's kind of like the baby blues, you know, on crack. It's, it's, it's what you're feeling those first two weeks. Um, but even more intense, like it's hard to find pleasure in anything. You don't really have any desire to go anywhere or do anything. Things that maybe you might've enjoyed before, like your favorite television show or your favorite podcast just bring you no joy. And if it doesn't continue to get better and if it continues past that two week point, then it's, it's likely that you're in the category of postpartum depression and it needs to be treated because if it's left untreated, it can spiral like it did for me. I think I'm a great example of what happens if you delay treatment. Um, and it's, you know, a lot of women are afraid of medication and I understand that. And we all have our, our different beliefs. Personally, medication is what saved me, but you know, you don't always have to medicate to get through postpartum depression. So I think that's, that's something to point out. Postpartum psychosis is the most intense and in that you likely do need to be medicated. That is very serious. It's very rare. Postpartum psychosis is you begin having hallucinations. Um, you have, you know, thoughts of harming yourself, of harming your baby, of harming someone else. Um, it's very common and for mothers and especially mothers with postpartum depression to be worried about something happening to their baby or to have these visions or thoughts of something happening to their baby like an intrusive thought situation yeah okay. like i had a dream that my son fell into a pool i remember he was maybe four days old fell into a pool but i woke up hysterical very upset that's normal and that's common postpartum psychosis you would wake up and you would think oh okay yeah that's not bad um it's very scary thoughts and that is something that you know call 911, go to the hospital, whatever you have to do. So this is not what point you were at? No. Postpartum depression doesn't become postpartum psychosis. Um, it's something you have or you don't. It's and different. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. But again, you know, what's interesting is maternal mental health is really just lumped into this one category. And it does such a disservice to moms because you know, not knowing the difference and what you're feeling and when feelings should subside is, you know, something that stops us, I think, from seeking help because we don't know what we're asking help for. Or like me and like many other women, there's a fear of my baby will be taken away or, you know, I'll be hospitalized against my will. And, you know, just the these uh, misconceptions about what these different uh ailments entail, I think, you know, furthers that idea of us just not getting help. It's also so hard to, I, I think it's really hard for women to admit that because they feel like they are, something's wrong with them and they don't want, even I think, I think it goes beyond just like admitting it to yourself. It's like, or your partner, it's like, 
extended family or anything like they're not going to think I'm maternal. And that's one of the things about you, Becky, um, like you breastfed Archer to how old he was three, three, Past yeah. his third birthday. And like that to me is so maternal because I just like hated breastfeeding, right. For myself. But, um, and I was like more selfish about it. I would say like, I just want my entire self back now. Um, by the time I hung up my breastfeeding cleats, you know, I hated it too. <laughs> um, <laughs> you did? I did. I had a horrible time and I wanted to stop. And I, I, it was just a really compounding my depression because he was eating a lot. I had a heavy letdown, uh, which is, I think when like the milk just kind of a lot of it comes out at once and it was really painful. And I said something to his pediatrician, you know, I, we want to switch to formula or something like that. And she was, oh, you can't, you can't switch. You can't take this away from him. And oh. my lactation consultant everywhere, I kind of, I think, turned because I was looking for permission. I needed someone to, you know, absolve me of this guilt if I quit breastfeeding. And I didn't get it anywhere. And that's, it's a big thing. I mean, breastfeeding is wonderful for our children, but having a happy and healthy mother, I I believe is more important. So I think we need to talk more about, you know, it needs to work for both baby and mom and that combo feeding is okay too. You can breastfeed and formula feed. Yeah. Throughout my pregnancy, it was always just put on me or a given or assumed that I was going to breastfeed, that mom's breastfeed. And I understand there's been, you know, it's important to educate women and it's important to encourage them. But I feel like that the, we've gone so far with it that it's almost too much that I didn't know anything about formula. I didn't know, you know, which, which type to use, which brand, what the differences were, because it was always you'll breastfeed, you'll breastfeed, you'll breastfeed. And it's great. It was nice to be encouraged. But when the time came where it didn't work for me, I I was just stranded. I had no idea what to do. And I think that there needs to be a little bit more education on alternatives to, you know, exclusively breastfeeding. Becky, when, when you wrote uh, or that excerpt in the book that I read, mm-hmm. how far into your motherhood were you at that point? How old was Archer? Um... That particular episode, I want to say he was maybe about three months old. Okay. But there were many, many like that. Um, you know, the kitchen cabinets, I think, were were a favorite outlet of mine for a while. They took a lot of beatings they from did. you. They did. Yeah. yeah. They were pretty sturdy, though. So they were Victims okay with of it. postpartum rage. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It would have been a great excuse to redo the kitchen. I know. But we were in a rental at the time. We had just moved and <laughs> hadn't gotten a house yet. So then I also... <sighs> You know, thank goodness my security deposit survived. <laughs> I'm glad we can laugh about this. But yeah, I wanted to. I wanted to knock them off. I wanted to put holes in the wall. I wanted to break my hand, to cut my hand, to have something physical, um, a physical problem so I could go to someone and say, see, look, I need help. Because I didn't know how to say that when it was about my mental health. Yeah. And you're open and honest about this on your Instagram account. Um, you got to the point where you had plotted your own death. Yes. And again, here I go hearing someone else 
feel like almost because I talk about it so much and I write about it so much because I think it's so important for women to know that I've become maybe a little dumb, but hearing other people talk about it. Yeah, I did. I did. I, um, it's just amazing what your brain does. And it's, it's looking back. It's, it's shocking that I thought these things and felt this way, but I did. I remember very early on a few days into this, I kept telling my husband, just take the baby and leave and go and move in with your mother because I'm such a terrible mom. And he kept saying, what are you talking about? Just leave. Just, I'm an awful mom. Just go, just forget about me. Because I was truly convinced I was just this horrible mother. I thought that my son was, you know, born cursed to have me in his life. And it just got worse and worse from there. And it was just always feeling, you know, like I was terrible. I was, everyone would be better off without me. And you just, you know, to the point where I did decide that I wanted to take my own life. And I had decided for a while, I had, as, uh, as was mentioned in that earlier excerpt that you read, I thought my only value was breastfeeding him. And because I was trying to stop breastfeeding and everyone was, was reaffirming how important it was that really kind of, okay, this is all I'm good for is to breastfeed my baby. So I had done some research and I somehow decided that six months, that if I got him six months of breastfeeding, he would be set up for a healthy life or whatever that was. So I had a date in mind. It was six months and it was, you know, just like a circled and red marker on this calendar in my brain. And I had, I knew how I was going to do it and I knew where I was going to do it and I knew when I was going to do it. And, you know, I, I don't know how or why, but I will forever be grateful that I, I asked for help before I got to that day. Who did you ask for help? When it finally happened, I think I just told my husband I need help. Um, and we went to the doctor. But, you know, there was a lot. My mom's a nurse and there was a lot of people knew something wasn't right. But I lied. I lied to everyone because, again, I had this fear of being labeled crazy, being ostracized and also having my son taken away from me. Yeah. Like the mentality of all of that, it's like you were at a point where you were so distraught and and miserable within your own skin at that time, like that you were ready to take your own life away. However, terrified of your baby being taken away from you, like there's some kind of obvious like disconnect going on there right like it's not like that just I feel like that just is such a highlight on that it was not about the baby no no it was never about him and I like I said I mean the the things that I wanted to do to hurt myself um, obviously the rage was like an uncontrollable urge but the thought of ending my life was something that I saw myself as almost like giving to him as a gift I'm going to take this horrible horrible person out of your life so that you can grow up happy and, and not have to be saddled with me as a mom. Had you suffered from other depress depressive episodes in your life or was this your first time experiencing these feelings? Um, I so I was married before uh, my current husband and it was it wasn't a great relationship and I did go through some 
some low points where I think I was a little bit depressed and definitely had anxiety, but I mean, nothing, nothing like this. Nothing like that. Yeah. And so basically you were at a point where you didn't feel like you could admit the way that you were really feeling about it until you didn't feel that way anymore, until you finally got help, like outside of talking to your husband about it. Because it sounds like you had these sort of irrational fears, like my baby's going to get taken from me. But I mean, it's not completely irrational. I can see why. Yeah. And, and you know, and let me be an example to anyone who knows a new mom we lie and we can make it look like we're fine. Um, I think there's this idea that if you're depressed, I always picture it as like maybe someone who stays in her bathrobe all day and has greasy hair. And, you know, it doesn't look like that. I showered. I could take it for a walk in the stroller. I could lie when I had that six-week checkup. I knew the, the questions, you know, they're very black and white. You can easily say no when you should be saying yes. And you know, even my mom, who was a nurse, you know, would see moments of it, but oh, I'm fine. I'm just tired. I'm just tired. And, you know, constantly reassuring everyone that I'm okay. And, you know, no one was seeing these moments because I was doing them. Like I said, I, for some reason, if, you know, my husband were home and I felt like I had to do it, it was something like, oh, I want to run outside and check if this package came and you know maybe it was like I'd have to hit the fence outside or the house um but I did a, r a really good job hiding it and you know I don't fault anyone for not noticing it um because I didn't let anyone see did you have any friends at that time who were in a similar place of motherhood who gave you any opening to talk about that like saying this has been really hard for me um you know motherhood hasn't been exactly what I expected it was going to be. I did. I had one friend who her youngest was uh, maybe about three at the time. And I did reach out to her about a lot of things. And she was incredibly validating. Um, I think a common thing that we all notice is, is babies are hard on relationships. And you struggle a lot with your partner. And it's hormones and sleep deprivation and lack of communication, things like that, that I didn't really know were a thing. She gave me a lot of reassurance on things like that. But again, I wasn't entirely honest with her about my mental state. I didn't know anyone who had postpartum depression. Or if I did, no one said anything. And I think one of the reasons why I chose to open up about this and really just lay it all out there is because I didn't see anything that looked like me or sounded like me or what I went through. And I really needed that. Me too. I feel the same way. And I, I couldn't find it anywhere. So I thought, you know, if I could put this out there and some other mom who's going through it can recognize some part of herself in my story and then realize I do need help, then, you know, it's worth it. Yeah. I mean, God bless you for your honesty, <laughs> honestly, because it is just so hard to admit that stuff. I really admire you. It is, and you know, sometimes it's. I worry it's embarrassing. I worry, um, like I, I joke with one of my close friends, like, do you ever, do you ever worry about letting me watch your kids? You know, and uh, you know, I'm not that person anymore, and I, I know that, and they know that, and it's just like really amazing now that the people who love me have seen that I'm healthy again. And that they trust me because sometimes I still don't see that myself. 
Man, I would be like, you're the number one candidate to watch somebody else's <laughs> kids. Um, so I I know you have Archer and you're that's you're done because of what you went through. That was like obviously an incredibly traumatizing experience. We did actually try. You did a, okay again. Okay. Yeah. So ideally, like initially, we weren't. You know, I couldn't go through it again. But I think it's like with all of the hard parts of motherhood, the further you get away from it, the more confident you feel about it. Like, oh, well, you know, I know what to look for. I know this. I know that. And so uh, we did try again. And uh, my husband and I had a long talk about it and whether we want to pursue fertility. And we just kind of decided, like, let's let the universe decide or whoever's out there. And if it happens, it happens. So, you know, we just had issues. It was secondary infertility and I wasn't able to get pregnant. So, and that's been hard because I feel like I mourn so much of that first year, especially, especially maybe even those first six months because I, I wasn't there. I wasn't present. I wasn't enjoying it. Um, and, uh, I'll never get that back. I'll never get to, you know, remember what it's like to sit there and, you know, enjoy tummy time with your baby or anything. Cause I was just always waiting for this day when I could leave. If it makes you feel any better, I was there and present for all of that time when my first child was born and I didn't enjoy any of it. <laughs> like, to that makes me feel better. I was bored yeah, out of like fucking my, like, when is tummy time over? Can we go for a walk? What's next? What's next? What's next? Let's start moving here, kid. <laughs> right. Um, I'm not a baby person um, or really a toddler person. I'm loving these <laughs> little kids, though. Um, yeah. It's so much more fun now. Um, but It really is. I even, like, but I see that you, you know, you write this and you talk about this as, as much as you went through, as difficult as that all was, you keep, you always say you would do it over again. Oh, I would. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my son is, is such an incredible source of joy, not only to me, but, you know, my family, my friends. I mean, he calls my dad his best friend. He just is is so amazing. And, you know, I think maybe I was a little lost in life before I had him. Um, you know, you mentioned earlier talking about my bio, I worked in public relations and I had these great jobs and I didn't like it. I didn't like what I was doing. I stayed in that career because that's what I had always done. And after a while, you start to get promoted and you're not a salary that's, you know, exciting to you. And the thought of starting all over again is sometimes out of the question. And so I just kept doing it. And I, you know, and I just wasn't happy and I, I didn't know what I was meant to do, I guess, if, if any of us feel like we have a purpose. I didn't feel like I had a purpose. And when my son was born and when I went through all of this, um, I know it's like really cliche, but I always say I feel like this phoenix, right? Like I burned everything down to the ground um, and I found my purpose now. I think my purpose is one, to be Archie's mom, but two, to share my story and help other moms. I mean, I just don't want anyone to ever feel like I did. Or worse, you know, we've lost so many moms um, who have, you know, died by suicide. And it shouldn't be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. Yeah, or who have gotten to the point that they're so under-supported 
um, without help that they, you know, do injure their baby or that kind of thing, because, you know, that horrible story that just took place out of Massachusetts. Um, and, and there's just, I just think that there's so much shame in, in it for people who are trying to, you know, pretend like they can still do this or pretend like they're going to be okay because they don't want everyone to think that they're crazy or God forbid that they are a bad mother. Right. And it's interesting. It's like this unspoken contest that we're all in to like be the best mom. But we, being the best mom means that you're the most tired. You're the most, you do the most. You go that you run yourself into the ground, but you're still, you know, still wonderful to your kids and it's like why does you know neglecting myself why does that factor into being a good mom it's it maybe I'm a good mom but I'm not a good you know self-advocate or I'm not good at taking care of myself and you know this whole narrative that motherhood is is being a martyr is just just it's just can I swear? Yeah. It's oh. bullshit it's absolute bullshit and it's it's a mentality that's been passed down from our grandmothers and our great grandmothers and you know everyone's done it so shut up and do it you know pull up your panties and get to work be miserable and don't talk about it that's the big one don't talk about it it's time to change the narrative I you know joke it's we need a revolution in motherhood like we need to stand up and say you know screw this we're done this is how we're doing it from now on yeah it is fucking stupid it is. It is. <laughs> and it's detrimental. It's detrimental to our physical and mental health. Yeah. And nobody wins on that. Like your family doesn't win. Your kids don't win. No. Your husband doesn't win because it's just like a great way to lay a foundation for building resentment for the rest yep. of your life. And then it's like, yeah. well, then your kids are going to grow up and they're not going to need you anymore one day and you're going to be left with yourself again. So you have to really cultivate yourself in order to... I think cultivate like a more lifelong feeling of fulfillment. And I, I, you know, and I'm trying not to say the word happiness because I want to separate that because it's not all about just being happy all the time, but but true fulfillment, you know? Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I used to say, you know, people always say, don't let motherhood define you. And I used to say, especially when he was younger, well, that makes no sense because I am defined by motherhood right now. I am, you know, this is what I do. And you know, there's this misconception, I think, that if you say, oh, I'm defined by motherhood, that you have no life or interests outside your child. Um, and that's not the case. I mean, I enjoy, in a sense, kind of being defined by this role that's so important to me, but that doesn't mean I don't have other things. So, um, you know, we just have to make sure that you can, you know, you can be the mother you want to be and still have these other things. It's not one or the other. It's it's not all or nothing. I mean, you know, and our children, like you said, are, are they're better off when we're happy. Our relationships are better. You, Caitlin, said this this word that's so important: resentment. And I that's something so many moms carry is resentment, especially to our partners. I mean, I'm really good at passive aggressively, like loading the dishwasher <laughs> when I want. When I feel like I'm not getting the help I need from my husband. Do you see me loading the dishwasher right now? Are you watching yeah. this? Oh, yeah. Like, or, you know, I slam cabinet doors and, you know, huff around because, you know. God, Becky, your poor say. fucking cabinet. 
<laughs> I know. <laughs> I, we actually need new ones in that in our house now. So, yeah, I feel like mothers like uh, like a mother's superpower in a way should be, really be like reframed, not to be that like burned out, like always going, you know, doing everything for everyone else all of the time, and also the responsibility or whatever the pressure to feel like you're in the moment and enjoying it all and and to and to you know project project that onto you know everybody but to know that you might you may be in that moment and not enjoying it all but you're still fucking doing it and doing your best and I really think that is our like superpower you know like that is where moms moms aren't amazing because they do everything for everyone they're amazing because it's so hard and we still keep going you know right um and you know you can speak to this just as well as i can um from instagram nobody wants to hear you complain there's this idea that if you're complaining i always joke because people say i'm just venting screw venting complain go ahead it's fucking hard and, you know, we, there's so many other moms that shame us when we complain. Why did you have kids then? Well, why did you do it? Well, of course I love my child. Of course I'm happy to be his mother. But that doesn't mean that, you know, when he's, you know, trying to avoid going to bedtime and, you know, tiptoeing on my last nerve, like, it doesn't mean that, you know, that doesn't suck. Um, I just, I hate these you know, sanctimonies who, you know, don't want anyone to complain. And again, that just feeds this narrative that we need to put our heads down and shut up. How does that help the moms who come after us? You know, that was, that was the big thing with me. I went into motherhood. Okay. It's going to be hard. Okay. I'm going to be tired, but you just hear about, oh, but it's so worth it. And you hold your baby and, you know, rainbows shoot out of, you know, their butt. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's also awful at times. Um, and we say motherhood is harder than you expect, but it's better than you expect too. I don't know why it can't be both. Um, and I think if I had gone in maybe, but knowing that it was going to be that hard or maybe having someone give me permission to speak about it or acknowledge it or something kind of like that permission I was looking for to stop breastfeeding. I think just for someone to say like, it's okay what you're feeling and thinking, I think it would have helped me a lot. I think like living like motherhood is living in two extremes, right? Like the the extreme love and dedication and fierce, protective nature that we f feel over our children, that kind of thing. That's such an extreme. And then there's the other extreme of exhaustion, depletion, you know, um, just giving of yourself all of the time. But people really only want to hear about the one extreme. They only want to hear about the good stuff because in, in, in that mentality, you know, our roles as women and mothers can just continue to be easy, you know, mm -hmm. because look, it's so wonderful. So like, it's not that hard. It's not that hard to be a woman or a mother. So shut the fuck up. Right. Yeah. But that's not real. Yeah. If when we had each had our first and if any mom had, had her first, if we were in this community that we're in already. I mean, think about it. Like from day one or day two, you're like, oh, my nipples hurt or this or that. And we had this these mothers on Instagram, fellow moms that we talked to who would be like, yeah, it is. It's awful. Don't breastfeed if you don't want to. I mean, yeah, that would have just, you know, I 
I wouldn't have, I would still have had postpartum depression because that was my brain. But I think it would have helped a lot just to have someone saying like, yes, yes, yes. Yeah, normalize it for you. You know, complain, talk about it. I know you love your baby. You don't have to give me that precursor of, you know, I love my baby, but. That's like nails on a chalkboard to me. I hate that phrase so much. All right. So like after all of what you went through with this severe postpartum depression that you were experiencing, getting help, et cetera, when did you feel like you were like, okay to be funny again? Like, because you're super fucking funny, too. So when did you like get your funny back or did you have it in there sprinkled along the way? But I just wonder because your account is not all about, you know, postpartum depression. It's a lot about humor. Yeah, I I think I had it probably still at the beginning because I, again, was faking everything. Right. So I be this person that you were before. Um, so I was faking it when I finally was able to kind of, when I got my diagnosis and when I was, when I was medicated, it was just like this, this dam broke and like, I was allowed to project on the outside what I was feeling on the inside. You know, I remember one time we were, my parents were visiting and, you know, we were all having dinner and I was like, I can't do this. I, I need to take a bath and I need to be alone. And I just got up and went in the bathroom and took a bath and cried and moped and came out and I felt better. But I wasn't letting myself do those things before, Um, you know, and I could just say I could go on Instagram and say it's a really, really hard day. Like I'm really struggling today. And, you know, the comics just come in and it's, you know, being supported by people, um, you know, and especially who are in the trenches at the same time as you are. I think there's just, it's such a gift that we can give one another. Um, then, you know, that helped a lot. And then, you know, it was really, it's, it's ongoing, um, you know, tweaking medication. Um, the first therapist that I saw was horrible finding someone else. And so kind of, you know, I would say it was, I think maybe it was around, I want to say like, seven months when I realized that I was enjoying my son. Um, but it was about 11 months when I started to kind of see myself again. I want to ask you also, like for anyone who's experiencing these kind of feelings, like past the two week work, whatever, what what would you say? Like, what's the first step? Like, do you just, you, I, I think it's important to just get advice from somebody who's been through this, maybe like call to action. What do you do? Right. Well, you know, it depends if you're thinking of hurting yourself, hurting your baby, doing something like that. I mean, that's call 911. You need immediate medical assistance because we don't want you to hurt yourself. We don't you don't you know, that's that's get immediate help. Um, And you shouldn't be afraid they're going to take your baby away because nobody wants somebody else's fucking baby anyway. Yeah. Yeah. Especially the little (laughs) ones who scream nonstop and they turn bright red and, you know, and they're not really that cute the first month. Um, I mean, I'll be honest. I love my son, but he looked like a little like garden gnome. Yeah, mine too. <laughs> and he had like these little black sideburns that fell off. I don't know. Um, <laughs> it just depends on like the severity. If you're not sure, like mm, what's going on, always you know you can always call your doctor. You can always call certain you know healthcare systems or hospitals have advice nurses. Um, But also keep in mind, and I don't say this to scare anyone, I say it to make them aware, 
I've spoken with a lot of women who have been dismissed by their doctors, and we do have to advocate for ourselves. And that's 10 times harder when you're depressed, especially when if you're feeling like I was where I saw no value in myself. It was, well, why should I keep, you know, advocate for myself because I don't matter. If anything, do it for your baby. You know, you can, as much as I hated myself, I always had Archer in mind. And, you know, I wish that someone had told me that me being happy would make him happy. That me, you know, that I mattered more to him than a boob. Or, you know, that that the mother is so important. So, um, yeah, talk to someone. If you feel like you're not hearing what you need from your doctor, find friends. I mean, there's countless, you know, moms now on Instagram who talk about postpartum depression. Um, Karen Kleinman has a series of amazing books about postpartum depression. She's like this PPD guru. So I can't recommend her enough. Um, there's an organization, which is actually where I found a lot of my help after I finally spoke up called postpartum support international they have chat lines and you can call and you can talk to people. Um, they also have, which I think is so amazing, these regional coordinators. So instead of calling and saying, hi, I live in, you know, this town here, what do I do? You know, and you have someone, I don't know, you know, check with your insurance. You call these people and they have them broken down into counties. So you have someone who lives where you live and they can give you a list of these therapists who are vetted, who have the experience with postpartum depression that you need to help you. And I think for me and what I found with a lot of moms, it's just just the act of finding a doctor can be so overwhelming. It can just be too much. So I, you know, that's such a great place to go. Um, you know, and I know there's women too who worry about the cost. And, you know, and again, this is a separate conversation, but we're set up to fail by the medical system. I mean, we don't see a doctor for six weeks after our baby is born. Um, you know, and a large percentage of uh, maternal deaths happen in the first 42 days postpartum. If you want to do the math, that's six weeks. It's heartbreaking. So, you know, if you're, your insurance isn't covered or you worry that you don't have money, I mean, reach out, reach out to these resources. That's very helpful, Becky. And I want to tell you that you are way more than just a boob. Oh, thank you. You are thank so you. much more than a boob to all of us moms. And um, I'm super happy for you about your book. And I want to just say it one more time. The title is Enough About the Baby, A Brutally Honest Guide to Surviving the First Year of Motherhood. And I just want to mm -hmm clarify for everybody what is this book really all about becky so the book is about the entire first year of motherhood and a lot of key aspects especially things that maybe we don't know about or don't talk about it so yes i mean maternal mental health obviously it's is something that is near and dear to my heart but it's one chapter in a 12 chapter book so i talk about everything from you know, the first few days at home and what it feels like to the struggles you have with your partner. There's been studies that show that there is no relationship that survives unscathed after a baby comes. Uh, friendships change. A lot of us feel isolated and don't know how to ask for help. So these are all things that I talk about and I'm really honest about them. I'm not, you know, selling it and, oh, 
that bad? Some of these things are bad, but knowledge is power. And not only am I telling it like it is, but I also have experts who are helping us navigate this and are giving tips to lessen a lot of these problems for us. Awesome. And I talk about poop. I talk about the first postpartum poop. <laughs> it was awful. <laughs> All right, Becky. Thank you so much. I appreciate this so much. No, this was great. I loved talking to you. Very powerful. Thanks so much for being here. For more information on today's episode, visit my show notes. And if you enjoyed it, leave me a review. Now get yourself a snack. <laughs>